Well, it's that time of the week where we speak to Leo Schlink about uh, tennis and horse racing in Hong Kong. Morning, Leo. How are you? Morning, Andrew. How are you? Oh, I'm very well, thanks. Uh, Leo, the Davis Cup, I know uh, before I was uh, on this show, I used to listen to you, and I know you weren't a big fan of the change in format. Uh, we've just had the most recent version. We'll get to the result in a minute, but uh, does anything grab you about the new format, or are you still uh, very lukewarm about it? Yeah, still very lukewarm. Um, and it's probably just being a, a victim of my past with it uh, in terms of being lucky enough to cover it for so many years and travel away and um and in fact at the moment i'm i'm writing a little uh, tribute piece for the australian open for the davis cup foundation to honor neil fraser mm. um and you only have to look at his passion for it and how well the whole system worked but um it's a fantastic result that australia made the final this year uh, but for me it was a total totally hollow result in uh, with canada winning it after being eliminated um months ago um, and then getting a second chance through a very unfortunate political um, and military circumstance with the, the war in Ukraine. Um, there should have been another team that went up into it, but mm. to me it's just another example of how flawed this new competition is. Yeah, that's strange how that all played out, Leo. Uh, it, it's one of those things. We know we've got a busy sports calendar, but it, it was as if we got to the semi-finals and no-one had even realised it was on. The profile of it is just um, so uh, underwhelming now, and that's because it's been taken from being a, a truly global event to uh, run by a company um, in conjunction with the authority of the International Tennis Federation, and it's played in Europe the final every year, and it just doesn't matter how well a team plays. Uh, there is a home-and-away format to it, but nowhere near the same um, in its past um, I guess iteration, it was like you had to win uh, possibly four matches on the road to win it. And you, if you did that, you really deserved, and best of five as well, uh, best of five rubbers. It was test match cricket. It's now been turned into something that's probably not even T20. And um, because of that, I think the interest has dwindled. Um, you see the player participation. There'll be figures to say otherwise, but the Canadian team, they fielded a fantastic team in the final. All credit to them. They won the ATP Cup at the beginning of the year. They beat um, Spain. They beat Australia in Davis Cup. Um, they're currently the best uh, men's team uh, in terms of tennis in the world. But for this event, um, outside of Canada and probably pockets of Australia and Spain, um, you'd struggle to get a result if you ask people who won the Davis Cup this year. Well, I think it says it all. When uh, every time I looked on the court, it was Davis Cup by Rakatang. I mean, it, it was sort of uh, being uh, hand in glove with a with electronics commerce sort of company. It's like sort of having Wimbledon by Sorbent or something. It was just uh, <laughs> it's just unedifying, you know. Or the World Cup by Trump Resorts or something. It was just sort of uh, surely the Davis Cup must stand on its own and doesn't have to be associated with a sponsor such as uh, you meant to call it uh, that name. It was uh, terrifying. But in any event, the uh, the Australian performances. Uh, Leo, who, who was... they all play well? Was there a standout? Oh, look, I, I think um, along the way there's, there's been some amazing results. Um, you know, the contribution of, of uh, Max Purcell, uh, Jordan Thompson, Alex Dimonor, Tanasi Kokonakis, they wanted to be there. Um, for Australia, which is a lot more than we can say for Nick Kyrgios. Um, you know, he plays in the ATP uh, finals in doubles with Tanasi Kokonakis. Um, one of them decides that Davis Cup or has decided that Davis Cup is not for him. The other fellow 
goes along and plays for his country. Um, and now Nick's going to um, go to the Middle East and gloating about earning six figures. Um, it's just, to me, staggering that a bloke who makes such a noise about uh, playing Davis Cup um, is not there. But let's focus on the, the really good uh, positives out of it. And, you know, Leighton Hewitt has built a team that without any world beaters was able to get to the final. And that is an old-fashioned, typical Australian Davis Cup result. And it's what Neil Fraser and many others have done over the years. We've had star-studded teams that have won it and no better than the team that won in Cleveland when Rod Laver and John Newcomb wiped the floor with the Americans and Ken Rosewell and Mel Anderson sat on the bench. I mean, it's just incredible to think about that in terms of this Australian team. But what Leighton Hewitt has built a team of players with the exception of a very good player, um, everyone else wants to be there. Darcy Kokonakis, we know he's had an injury-played career, Leo, but he's starting to get a lot of court time now. Do you think he can still be a, a, a sort of a top-20 player in the world? Absolutely. Yeah, I do. Um, I think he's a fabulous player and someone who um, hasn't been able to do his best yet and it's not too late for him. And uh, I think mentally uh, he's in a really good space and he wasn't able to be in that space for a long time because of what was happening physically to him. But um, again, uh, doubles has played an amazing role in him um, laying a platform as a singles player and we haven't seen the best of that yet. And He's got such a good game, has always been a super talent, and let's hope that he stays injury-free because if he does, there's a place in, in at least the top 50 and perhaps the top 20 for him. Just uh, going back a moment, uh, Leo, you mentioned that piece you were doing on Neil Fraser. I mean, people of my vintage uh, sort of remember Neil Fraser sitting on that very comfy chair as the uh, <laughs> Davis Cup captain, and he was sort of like a fixture with Davis Cup. Uh, is there some reason uh, that it's being... Is there an anniversary of something, or is it just uh, his uh, contribution to tennis is being uh, noted? Yeah, all of those things. Um, the Australian Open in January, I think, is always on about the... Thursday, the second Thursday, the semi-finals, there's a Davis Cup Foundation lunch, the Australian Davis Cup Foundation. And, um, Neil, um, you, you go follow his progress through his life. He's, he's now, I think, 89. Um, but he's, um, he as first going as an orange boy, then a player, um, a Wimbledon champion, uh, then becoming, uh, the, the captain of, um, of Australia, succeeding Harry Hopman, holding that role for a record period and then, um, handing over to John Newcomb and Tony Roach. But after that, uh, remaining the, the head of the Australian Davis Cup Foundation and holding several roles within Davis Cup um, affiliated with the, the ITF. Um, and Fraze has been fanatical about this lunch and he's built it up basically from... Wouldn't, it's more than a handful of people, but mm. now it's, it's a major part of the Australian Open Tennis uh, fortnight. And he's, or he's a fixture there, uh, just like that chair, courtside. And... Um, <laughs> um, He's, he's now moved on to, he's still patron of it at 89 of the Australian Davis yeah. Cup, um, foundation and he's so passionate, but, uh, Todd Woodbridge has succeeded him and this year it's every year they have a, a theme, whether it's the 1973 in, in Cleveland or 86 at Keong or, um, winning in Nice in 99, whatever it is, there's always a theme and this year the pure theme is Neil Fraser and so it should be. Leo, uh, Canada. That's their their first ever victory in the Davis Cup. They made the final back in 2019, lost to Spain when Rafael Nadal was playing. It's a, a great achievement for tennis in Canada. 
Oh, absolutely it is. Um, and uh, first time in 109 years of trying for them. And um, no one's more delighted for them than me, uh, Milos Raonic, who um, got to number three in the world and, and been a big part in them getting that far in their last finals appearance. But look, they have, they have got some incredible talent coming through. Um, you look on... On the men's side, you got uh, Felix Auger, Alessimi, um, Denis Shapovalov, um, and they've got a veteran on, you know, on the, in the wings for the, under the, uh, Frank Dansevich, their captain. But you look on the women's side, um, Brie Andrescu, Leila Fernandez, um, this is a country that, where tennis was, they always, they always had a presence, but never like one of the really, really big countries. Now they've done it. And, um, yeah, they lost to the Netherlands for, for zip in the preliminary competition. Um, and then as a result, the ITF had to make results because of what happened in Ukraine. And they've taken their chance and they scrambled through some, ra- um, some rounds, but they've got some seriously good young players and they're going to be a powerhouse in tennis for the next five to ten years with what they've got. What happened to Ranic? Uh, Leo doesn't seem old enough to have uh, retired, had that enormous serve. Is he, uh, is injury taken its toll or is he just retired? No, it's his back. Um, so you, you're right. He's still uh, young enough to be out there if he could possibly be. Um, but, um, you know, dual Grand Slam finalist, um, you know, he was a hell of a player with that serve. And, um, unfortunately, he's been lost to the game in a competitive sense at the moment, mm. but he's very much involved with Canadian tennis and, um, trying to help others at the moment. So, um, again, another really good story for them. Um, he's, um, he's someone that would be amazing if he did get back uh, with what his body's gone through um he he put on a fair bit of weight and struggled with that um and he's a, he's a big man um and the back has been an issue for a while so wish him all the best and be great to see him back but this team they've got right now um you know he would he'd be a doubles player and that's how good they are mm. leo as far as the summer of tennis is concerned it's december on thursday so what does that mean when do we start seeing some tournaments up and about here in australia yeah, it'll start, um, when you think with what's going on, um, in the Middle East, um, upcoming, um, Novak Djokovic was at the Davis Cup final as well, by the way. He was there uh, as a spectator. So he would have had a, some kind of training element going on there. But, um, we're looking out to the Middle East, um, events kicking off in the middle of the month, um, in Abu Dhabi and then Dubai, um, finishing just before Christmas. So from that, um, you'll move into the various festivals. Adelaide's got one. We know the United Cup is playing a huge part in Perth, Brisbane and Sydney, um, the Keon Classic down in Melbourne, um, and there'll be various other events as well. So it'll be, I'd say it'll be a return to what we knew um, the Australian tennis circuit was pre-COVID, and uh, it's going to be massive. Uh, Leo, we sort of mentioned that it was disappointing. Uh, Nick Kyrgios uh, wasn't playing in the Davis Cup, but be that as it may, I suppose that's just uh, the way it is. Um, he's going to play in Saudi Arabia. Do you give him a puncher's chance in the Australian Open or not? I, I do. Um, it's all going to be weather dependent and also on how he handles it. Um, he won't be able to play uh, all his matches in his favourite arena as he as he likes to, but he'll be he'll be allowed to go out there. To the secondary court for as long as he wants. Um, and, you know, it's going to be wild and it's going to get down to the draw. It's going to be easier for him notionally now because he's where he's got his ranking to. But, um, and he's good enough to make the, uh, the final at Wimbledon. Um, he should be good enough to make at least the second week of the Australian Open. He hasn't done that, um, consistently for a long time. There have been flashes, but yeah, he's like, it depends. It's all going to depend on what his headspace is and, um, how much work he's done. And I thought after Wimbledon, US Open, that 
he would not get back on the road again this year. Um, he's back on the road again, played in Turin, as we mentioned, and going back to the Middle East. Um, it's going to be interesting to see um, how serious that is, but there's some really good players there. Um, it's a, a, a mixed format um, in um, Dubai, but it's going to be more what he does off the court in terms of how much uh, away from the match court, that is, how much practice he can get in with these really good players there because it's basically the best of the best going there. And uh, if he can get some really good sessions in there, then play uh, really well going into the United Cup, um, he's, he's got a shot at the Australian Open. Well, he is on the fourth line of betting at the Australian Open, Leo. He's uh, an $8 chance. The only players above him, Novak Djokovic, now that we know he's coming, is the favourite at two twenty-five. Carlos Alcaraz at four fifty. Daniel Medvedev, 6. Then it's Rafa and Yannick Sinner at $11. So Nick is there and thereabouts as far as the market is concerned. Yeah, I think that's right too because... Um, He's got the advantage of playing at home, and we know that there are certain things he really thrives on, uh, one of, one being crowd support, and it's going to be even bigger uh, this coming January, given what he did um, this year. Um, and let's let's hope it's the same for all the Australian players. Um, it's going to be different. We're going back there without a defending champion, um, but there'll be a lot of young hopefuls going into um, the Australian Open wildcard playoff and... Um, just a real sense of the build now with Australia making the finals in both the, the Billie Jean King Cup mm. and Davis Cup um, with players without a real headline name. Um, um, Isla Tomlanovic has done ex- really well over the past couple of years to make quarterfinals. But this is a, a real foundation, I think, for someone to catapult and do something you know, really, really good. And who knows, uh, if, if Nick can back up what he, the way he played at Wimbledon and take that same approach, he deserves to be in the market at that price. Now, as far as racing is concerned in Hong Kong, Leo, Zach Purton had another great day out. Five winners and a horse with the unusual name of Keefe seems to make an impact. <laughs> yeah, Frankie Law uh, has Keefe by all too hard and um, not sure how they got the name, um, but um, whether they kept it from his previous country. But um, no, it was, the, it was the Zach show again on Sunday. Um, the quickest uh, to get to 50 wins in a season in terms of date and um, in, in modern Hong Kong history in terms of rides uh, broke uh, Joe Marrera's record. So if you extrapolate what he's done, that was the 22nd meeting exactly at the quarter mark of the season. Um, he's on target to get um, 200 winners, which would smash the existing record for the most wins in a season by Joe Marrera. So if Zach can stay... Uh, injury-free, illness-free and, and keep out of trouble with the stewards as he typically does. I don't want to jinx him, uh, but he's, he's one of the, the best at... Um, he, he rarely get, makes a mistake out on the track. Um, if he continues that pace, um, he should be able to break uh, Joe Marrera's record. Keefe was originally trained by David Van Dyke here in, uh, in Queensland. Then he went to Brad Whittop and now he's gone overseas. And they've kept the Look, name from here. Yeah, um, so they they have the option of keeping some of the names, uh, or they they do have the option of keeping the name. Typically, it'll be um, you see a lot of the names that are either packing or beauty. They're, yeah. they're all linked to their uh, um, owners' businesses or whatever. Uh, in the beauty case, it's the um, Sasa, the Quok family, who had beauty generation, all those great horses, and you know telecom fighters and a lot of other names that filter in. And sometimes it's just like. Super Wind Dragon Hero or something like that. They they love you know the positive names, but sometimes it's just like, well, we like this name as it is, and they leave it. Um, and we saw on the weekend that Keefe won the Chevalier Cup. Um, he's 
uh, in the upcoming four-year-old series, and he did a really good job. He picked up a, a million-dollar Hong Kong bonus as well, so um, he'd be uh, one of Frankie's favourites at the moment, but it was a great win, and um, uh, we're um, now only just over a week out from the uh, Longines International Jockeys Challenge, um, championship, I should say, and then um, the, follow- the Sunday after that, um, we have the first... Um, uh, it's a really big race day, but today we have the first arrival with, with Laws of Indices arriving from Sydney um, for the uh, the Longines um, International Race Day. Does it feel like uh, yeah, racing's back to its full capacity again? It's getting back there. Um, unfortunately, we won't see a, a full capacity on the day, but um, just the way it's building at the moment, um, there's still restrictions. Um, but right now, you know, getting, getting crowds up around the 18,000 mark, I think we've had 13,000 recently, but hopefully around that mark and higher for the big meetings. And really unfortunate, last Wednesday at Happy Valley, um, I know you'd both be sad about this, but the reopening of the beer garden, uh, it rained all night. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so, oh. <laughs> but the, yeah, the McDonald's on track reopened again. So, uh, oh, that's good. It's just a, I know it's a one-stop shop for James Clark. It's just like you've got, uh, <laughs> you got music, you've got uh, the beer garden, you've got the food down there. And, um, yeah, so it, it's an amazing atmosphere. But unfortunately, it was just one of those... Weather events, it wouldn't go away. But uh, by the look of it, it's going to be much better tomorrow night. Good on you, Leo. It's always a pleasure, mate. We'll chat next Tuesday. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Andrew.